1: was a wizard at metrics. I mean, he just had them left, right, and center. And I was a great person to be around early in my sales career to really master that. And our call to close rate was 2%. And the amount of money the company threw to turn that 2% into a 3 was insane. And I just kept thinking to myself, 98% of what I'm going to do is pointless? <laughs> like, what? What? <laughs> I couldn't get over that. I'm like, who cares about the 2%? What about the 98? Why don't we take that down 10 percentage points? Why would that not be the obsession of the company? To be like, oh my God, you fool, spend 98% of your time with no success? Gracious.
2: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Bilal Batrawi, and he's the founder of Death to Fluff. I love that name. And Bilal and I are going to talk about why he believes it's time to elevate the thinking and understanding of how sales should be done. Now, what I really enjoyed about this conversation with Bilal was having the opportunity to talk with a bright, young voice in sales, a person still at the beginning of their sales career, at least in a relative sense compared to me, who is taking the time to think very deeply about sales and how we do it. You know, like his death to fluff movement. You know, there's way too much fluff in all of the sales advice put out there today, and I respect the way Bilal is willing to put his beliefs out there. So we're going to dive into a wide range of topics, including what and who are the major influences and how most sellers learn how to sell, and what that means for sales management, what sales management needs to learn in order to better help sellers improve their performance. So we'll get into all this and much, much more. But before we get to Bilal, I want to th- remind you to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. And if you haven't already connected with me on LinkedIn, please do. LinkedIn.com slash in slash real Andy Paul. All right, let's jump into it. Bilal, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andy. It's, a, it's an honor. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Pleasure to have you here. So, um, where have you been hiding out the last few months?
1: I've been in Atlanta. My wife works at Grady Hospital, so she's like seeing all the horror. So we were like, we weren't even playing around in the beginning. We knew because we were just seeing what was happening in the hospital. And we're like, no, this is this is some this is some real stuff.
2: <sighs> yeah, I know it was the same thing. My wife is a professor and dean at NYU School of Medicine, and uh, right there at the the major medical center. Lower Manhattan, and yeah, it was, it was uh, no question. It was real, very yep. real. Yeah. So, well, uh, so here's a question I like to ask people: is is what's the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself during the pandemic?
1: Ooh, um, that's a great question. Uh, what's the biggest lesson I learned about myself? I I've grown to be extremely patient with my children. Through this pandemic, I got a, I got three year old and a one year old, both of them boys. Anything that can fall, they will make sure it, it, it draws it, right? It, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll give it a good go, Um, and all that kind of stuff that you would expect. You know, they if they look at the wall, it seems to get a mark. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they yeah. just have a knack for certain things. And I've just like now I'm just so mellow. Like they'll just be chaos, and I could just close my eyes and kind of relax. And I was like, how are you? I'm like, I don't know. I've just I've developed a superpower now, where I'm just I'm cool with
2: it. Well, is is your wife able to develop the same level of equanimity no. about things?
1: <laughs> no, which makes her <laughs> she just hates me for it, but I'm like,
2: <laughs> one of us had two, and it was me. Okay, there, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um so you've got this this thing on Bravado. Uh people should check out Bravado if they haven't uh aren't aware of it, but called death to fluff. And so what is death to fluff? Fluff.
1: Yeah. You know, I, it's, it was just born out of a joke between some friends of mine that I was annoying every single day in the early days when I started posting on LinkedIn. And it was just like, yeah, death to fluff. Let's like no more fluff. And it kind of took a life of its own and, and people started using it back. That's when I knew it was cool. I was like, oh, okay, it's not, just like a, it's not just in my head. Like People actually think this might be a cool thing to say because some people started hashtagging it back in the comments of my posts and um, I just ran with it. I was like, all right, let's, let's make this the slogan. Let's, let's unite. All right. So what is the fluff though? The fluff is all this nonsense today that people just in general talk about in sales. I mean, you can find yourself endlessly scrolling on LinkedIn and and occasionally there might be one or two very meaningful conversations, but it's uh, like, let's talk about even just recently, there's just like overflow of screenshots of people's um, team meetings on Zoom, uh, you know, a picture of your work from home desk. Uh, you know, some sort of fluffy thing about be courageous and be empathetic or cold calling is dead <laughs> or it's alive or it's <laughs> somewhere in between. And I'm like, what? Like, none of this is worth even posting. There should be like a limit on how much you can
2: post of this. Well, LinkedIn has become Facebook. Yeah, that's what people say. I, I don't disagree either. I don't disagree. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. There's, there's a dearth of insight so when we when we make the transition to making it more social um yeah it sort of becomes a little less serious one of the things i've noticed and i don't know if you've seen this is is first of all there's been in the last 90 days this this what seemingly exponential growth in the number of experts on linkedin um myself saying, included <laughs> saying that that well no, I'm not pointing at you. Is is <laughs> saying that one of my favorite phrases is because I get you know messages, direct messages from people saying, you know, they identify some problem and they're saying we've been in some vague solution that and the phrase is that just driving me nuts is we've been doing a lot of this these days with companies like yours. <laughs> it's mm. like a lot of this. Okay, what is what is this? Right? This is sort <laughs> of unspecified, and this is this is on most common common uh, pitches I guess I'm I'm receiving these days. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Nice and lazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm getting again, and don't know about you, but I'm getting yeah, I've spent probably twelve years on LinkedIn and never once getting sort of a solicitation from a financial planner or insurance salesperson. Um yeah, any sort of financial related products, and now it's it's uh, yeah, daily daily activity.
1: Yeah, it it really is, and it's so noisy. And people, what drives me crazy, Andy, is like how, I mean, I just don't see how how these these people don't realize that your message is in a sea of messages, and if it's boring and dull and has nothing. To say in it, and it's not important. Why do you think sending it a thousand times is going to do any better than sending it ten times? It's not. Nobody cares. It's going to get deleted. It's not working yet. Somehow everybody's still trying the same formula and recipe. And I'm, and it's like, am I the one taking crazy pills? does nobody understand the importance of being original here? You gotta like just stand out, just in any way, shape, or form. Just find the way. And sometimes I like laugh at my own advice because I'm like it's so stupid. But then I go back to my messages in my inbox. I'm like, no, people need to hear it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, but you you've referred to that and recently on I think LinkedIn as you're saying that you're calling for it's time to elevate the thinking and understanding of how sales should be done. So. Tell me about that. So, I mean, I like it. I mean, I think I, you and I talked beforehand about how much I'm in agreement with that. So what aspect of it do you think we need to elevate? I mean, in the understanding, I mean, I, I, yeah, there's been so little actual research done on sales and what works and so on. Is it, is this this is a business that's still fundamentally and I know a lot of people don't like this is, is it's still fundamentally an apprenticeship Mm -hmm. this is how how people learn and it's not like there's one way of doing it that works across the board no no
1: there's not it's very true you know I I say that myself it's it's a trade skill it's like if I want to be a master carpenter I don't pick up you know carpentry for dummies that's not how it works Um, I go study under master carpenter and I will learn their techniques and then I can go and apply it and build on that sales is the same way it you know, it's not some haphazard thing or you're not born with it. And, you know, because you were, you know, a former ex-jock and you're hungry or whatever, you know, you're going to just crush it out there. That's not how it works. That's just simply not how it works. The modern day day seller has to be part psychologist, part, you know, tech enabled um, and and totally um, process driven, has to be um, a master of, Content marketing. There's so many demands now that a, that a seller needs to be that uh, just didn't even exist like 10 years ago.
2: But at the same time, there's these conflicting, you know, interests or motivations, if you will. Is is and you've referred to this in things that you've written as well. Is that that you know we've we've mechanized, automated sales behaviors that uh, have been going on forever, and somehow think now they're new. Right. And so just by the fact sure. that we've we've enabled them with technology, we somehow think that they're their <laughs> higher order evolved sales motions when it's yeah, it's just the same old crap we've been doing for fifty, seventy, eighty, a hundred years. Yeah. I mean, I, this is why I think when we think, okay, somebody I was just talking to us saying, Oh, it's you know, time for a revolution three of sales. And I was like, Well, when was the first revolution? I mean, just the <laughs> fact we automated things didn't mean that we changed. Right. It's 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 uh yeah there's a lot of demands on sellers these days but by the same token i i interested in your opinion on this is i feel like more than ever sales is about being compliant to a process as opposed to saying how do i enable my people to become the best version of themselves
1: oh that's interesting wait okay let me repeat that so m- more being compliant to the process than being the best people they can be did i get
2: that right yeah Hmm. Ah! Uh, wow. That. And you've yeah. referred to this in your own writing about. Yeah. You know, hey, yeah. I'm writing up. I'm writing somebody up because they don't. They don't hit their call metrics. It's like, well, screw the call metrics. Is yeah. Is, yeah. You want to have a certain number of conversations. If somebody could do the get the right number of conversations. Yeah. With half the calls. That should be good. Rejoice! 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 and cherish, right?
1: and cherish the moment and figure out why.
2: I agree. Yeah, yeah. Because sales has become, you know, in the parlance of what like people like to sort of try to contrast themselves and set aside this sort of current wave as "quote unquote" modern sellers, which I always get amused at, is (laughs) they're just doing the same old things, and it's all about efficiency as opposed to effectiveness. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not as concerned about, uh, you know, perfect example I Give people is, you know, we talk about win rates. Okay. Is, is, you know, what percentage of your qualified opportunities are you closing and using that as a win rate metric? And in SaaS in general, it's relatively low from my my perspective, certainly when I've in my career coming coming up through sales. Yeah. But no one ever talks about how do we increase that. It's always about if we want to sell more, given that we have this win rate, we put more stuff into the top of the funnel and we know what our conversion. Rates are throughout our various stages. That will help us drive more revenue. Rather than saying, "Well, we've got a certain amount of stuff in the pipeline. What if what if we could double the number of deals that we close?" Right, right. With the same pipeline.
1: Let's even flip it for a second. This was always frustrating for me. And my first, my first in entry into the sales world, our close rate. My manager was a wizard a wizard Andy at metrics. I mean, he just had them left, right and center. And I was a great person to be around early in my sales career to really master that. And our call to close rate was 2%. And the amount of money the company threw to turn that 2% into a three was insane. And I just kept thinking to myself, 98% of what I'm going to do is pointless like, what? <laughs> I couldn't get over that. I'm like, who cares about the 2%? What about the 98? Why don't we take that down 10 percentage points? Like, yeah. what, why Why would that not be the obsession of the company? To be like, oh my god, you fools spend 98% of your time with no success? Gracious. who? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I gave a, a keynote at a conference last year and and to a saAS audience and and said, "Well, okay, if we've got a twenty percent close rate or win rate, excuse me, off your most qualified opportunities, mean the ones you're working actively in your pipeline, what are you training your sellers to do? lose yeah, yeah. right. I'm practicing yeah. I'm spending eighty two percent of my time losing, yeah, so <laughs> what's the habit I'm developing? I'm developing right. the habit of losing All right." So we're not going to win every one, right? But but no. You know, there's this great quote that I love from from uh do Deming, who is uh, if you're familiar with him, but he was a famous business thinker back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, he's an American guy that basically went to he got ignored by the car companies in the United States and took his mm. theory of total quality management to Japan and revolutionized the Japanese auto oh, industry. Oh, yep. Yep, yep. I know you're going with this. Yep. And then came right back, but but he has this famous quote that he says, and the quote is, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Yes. I love so, that. so you think about so your your example about or my example a 20% win rate or or you know two percent call to win rate, or call that's called a win or call to close, whatever. Uh it yeah. was like, Yeah, that's what your system set up. Of course you're gonna get that. Yep. You've yeah, designed I it that way. It. So so yeah, I have this question for CROs and CEOs that that I've consulted with, and so on. It says, well, let's let's do it differently. What's the win rate you want, right? And then let's work backwards and say, how do we get there? How do we engineer our process to get there?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? They don't. Th- that's really. Taxing on the modern the modern day sales leader. Look, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out some shots. I'm gonna throw out some shots. You know,
2: before you do, because I say the problem with a lot of them is that they don't know how to sell.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I mean,
2: (laughs) it's it's true, right?
1: It's true, and 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 like. I'm of the opinion, maybe I'm being a little bit glass half empty or whatever, but I'm like, I'm the opinion, like I've kind of given up on today's sales leaders. I'd rather try to influence the SDRs and the E's of today that will be, you know, the directors and VPs Mm -hmm. in five to six years Mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, give up on this lost generation because I'm just like, I'm like. I can't tolerate anymore. I, I'll give you a small example. Today, today, I read a great article that was written back in 2005 in the Harvard Business Review around um, a gentleman that was using Six Sigma uh, applied to um, sales pricing. Right, brilliant. A brilliant article, and, and and then I'm like, that's that's wonderful. 2005, gracious, fifteen years ago. Wow, what's happened since? And so I wanted to Google search. Can I find a course that's um, sales oriented, you know, puts on the floaties for me a little bit, but, but Six Sigma still can give me that core principles of understanding so that I can apply that, un- that you know, cutting waste mentality to my process and pipeline. It doesn't exist. We're in 2020. And if you Google search, you know, sales, uh, Six Sigma and sales, you'll find a bunch of just, you know, bottom feeder stuff on the first page of Google. And it's shocking to me, right, that today's modern sales leaders haven't been chiming for that. Don't don't aren't just eager to jump all in on that and master those concepts to the benefit of their own businesses and their own careers. Because again, they're hammering away at uh, incremental improvement instead of exponential efficiency
2: or exponential effectiveness. Yeah, right. I mean, so but you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that. One example I love to to give when I talk with audiences is, uh, I assume you're a member of Modern Sales Pros. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, I took for the audience a screenshot of like I don't know maybe the 25 most current threads that were in my my uh, <laughs> distant Gmail inbox, and and yeah, we just looked at the title of the threads, and so I put it up on the screen I said, everybody, take a minute you know, some modern sales pros, take a minute and look at these and and tell me what's missing. And I haven't done this for a year, but I'm gonna presume it's still still current, this test. Is when you go through the titles of the discussion threads, none of them are about sales. They're all about comp, process, technology, so on. But I would Drop over dead if someone posted something on there that said, "Look, I'm having a problem with this customer. You know, we're trying to sell this. Here's the problem. We're getting this objection. Has anybody else run into something like this? So, mm-hmm. how can you have a, a a community that's devoted to sales that doesn't talk about sales?
1: Yeah, that's deep right there. It's the truth too. It's the truth. You know, um, I think about all the psychology that had never got taught in six different sales trainings, you know, nobody explained to me the universal buyer's journey. Nobody bothered to explain to me social paradigms. None of them bothered to train me on, um, you know, using cognitive dissonance, um, how to create, you know that that compelling persuasion using universal principles of influence. None of these things that like psychologists and economists and and you know counselors have been doing for for decades, right? Decades. You think about something like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. It's like every every seller should be trained in CBT. It's literally how to persuade others, right? How to get to the core uh, understanding of and that's and and that's what um, Chris Voss hacked, right? That's Mm -hmm. all you know, you listen to Chris Voss and he's just saying, like, yeah, it's just basic psychology. We just dumped it down as far as we could and then use it for negotiations. It turns out it's as useful for buying a used car as it is for freeing hostages. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean that's that's an example, right? Of of how sellers learn. Right. So if I were to ask you, is how did you learn how to sell? Who taught you how to sell? Right? We all have influences, not. And assume the baseline is we all have experience, right? And We're all out there in the market. We're learning some from experience. But on top of your experience, you have know, the influences that, that taught you how to sell. If you had to sort of divide between coaches, peers, customers, uh, company provided training, and your own self-development books, podcasts, online trainings you do on your own. If you had to total those up so they all equaled 100%, what would they be for you? peers for sure myself
1: a um, little bit of the managers very little bit and then some of the courses there sort of at the end that's kind of the the stack ranking
2: um, yeah so so take that because this is not unusual i have been yeah. asking this question of guests is is and this is yeah obviously about as scientific as anything else that anybody' done about sales but <laughs> is, <laughs> is, is is the employer provided training always comes in last. Yeah. Not always, but almost always has come in last in terms of and I think of my own case as you know, been in sales for four decades. Um, I had eight weeks of classroom training my first year, and that's been it. Mm. Yeah. Right. And I've I've sold two thirds of a billion dollars myself. Right. So it's like what I learned. I I learned from my coaches and mentors. I learned from my customers. I learned reading books and listening to tapes in my car. You know, Earl Nightingale, you know Zig Ziglar, old old names back when I was driving between sales calls before. Sort of flying around the world to sales calls, but it's and the company. provided training was last. Yeah, and yet here's an industry that's that's a it's a twenty billion dollar a year industry in the United States. Sales training.
1: That's wild! And, I can't believe it's and, that much.
2: And seemingly, <laughs> well, it's, I found this. I found the statistic on the internet, so it must be true. But I mean, it's, yeah. it's <laughs> we'll take that as a as you know a data point. It's yeah. like holy cow, we're spending all this money on it, but but anecdotally, granted, but talking to a broad spectrum of people, uh, you know, people always think, gosh, I get the least out of out of the company provided training. Most people actually you're sort of unusual so far in the answer I gotten that most people have their a coach or mentors sort or of the primary influence on them. And it certainly was for me in my development. But yeah, the training's always last. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, I'm with you. And, and the thing about it is this. It's like um, I I think about the curse of knowledge and how, how much I was cursed by every company that I started with. And, and how they tainted my ability to actually connect to the buyer.
0: Because
1: oh really? no they would so. just, they would just, they would day one, just throw me right into the product and all this stuff about the company history mm. and this and that. And then guess what the next thing I wanted to do? Talk about everything I just learned. Here's our company history. Here's what our product does. And this is our roadmap. And I'm like, guess what? Nobody cares. Uh, you know, it, we, we mm-hmm. just, we've got the whole set up wrong to talk about like if the, if the process, the process is just producing what it should, right. The outcomes are perfectly aligned to what the process creates. So if we're seeing that people don't want to talk to salespeople and uh, salespeople don't want to call themselves salespeople, right. (laughs) And, um, and buyers will do anything they can to, to, to get as much information they can before they get on the phone with that salesperson um, if they have to at all. Right. Yeah, that's just the process producing those outcomes. That's that's it's all. Yeah, shouldn't yeah, it's perfectly designed to
2: produce the results it gets. Well, so you talk about you know connecting with customers is, is certainly the foundation of of sales, and yet the way we set up our model, at least for inside sales, is we have some you know dedicated employees calling pro- prospects, potential buyers. With the express purpose of getting a meeting for someone else, and yeah, you know, how we talk about gosh, we want we want these people to be, become proficient at having good conversations with buyers, but it's for most of them, it's sort of a one and done type thing.
1: Yeah, how it can really they? Is. It's true. Yeah, and and you know, um, I go back to. Because you mentioned I had a weird number one there, which was my peers. The reason why is because that's how I learned to combat the um, curse of knowledge. I would mm-hmm. stop, I would learn from what my peers were teaching their buyers, because then I would be seated as a buyer. Yeah. And, you know, if the product or the manager or the sales trainer, whoever it was, would tell me about something, I'd be like, I didn't see that in any of the demos. I didn't see a single. Prospect asking about that, and I didn't see that included in any follow up email. So, therefore, it doesn't exist because the prospects to the prospect, it doesn't exist. The more I can align myself to that viewpoint, the better I can manipulate the social paradigm when I'm actually on a call with a prospect and when i do that i immediately beat the curve cuz that's all i need to do right i don't need to be a sales genius i just need to be better than the average boring horrible linkedin message <laughs> slash email <laughs> slash phone call that that prospect gets that's a yeah. good, good the and and the good news is it's a low bar
2: <laughs> the bar is very low and i've bar's I've, low <laughs> i've i've written this before so you just have to be smarter than what's on your website yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, I mean, that's, that's it, really for it for a salesperson right yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a very, very, very low bar. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, think this, this is gets back to this conversation about you know, how people, where you learn sales from, and so on is, is we underestimate, even though we we talk a lot about it, we underestimate the importance of that connection. Because to your point is, you just have to be a little bit better. You know, if 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 I were to, you know, ask you if you're, you know, reflect back on one of your Sales opportunities, of one that you're proud of that you won it, and asked you, well, how much did you win by? What would you tell me? Just enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you quantify? Yeah, as five percent better, as ten percent better. I was, you know, it's not about price, right? It's, it's. So how much better were you? Yeah. So how much better do you need to be, in order to win? Just I said one percent. Yeah. Yeah, and that one like, percent, that one percent, could be how I initially connect with someone. It could be that initial conversation. That could carry through that one percent. Yeah, I. You're,
1: I always go. I tell. I tell this to new sellers. Any of the SDRs that have had Andy, I always tell them this. I'm like, you know, we've all had that feeling where we thought somebody was looking at us, and we turn around, and sure enough, we catch a pair of eyes that were that were looking at us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how on earth? Did we know to look, you know, 180 degrees behind us and see those pair of eyes, but we got that feeling that somebody was looking at us, that same unconscious vibe comes off in your phone calls, comes off in your emails, comes off in whatever, all the communication you're going to do with that person. And those nonverbal cues are going to be paramount to the outcome. They're going to be paramount to the outcome. So, you know, your ability to get reciprocity from them, your ability to get genuineness from them, your ability to get, you know, whatever it is that you want out of them is going to be completely predicated on you being the first one to to make the social bid, to start it, to start the relationship, right? Which means yeah. you're going to have to be open. You're going to have to be provocative. You're going to have to be unexpected. You're going to have to be delightful. All things that we don't, we don't, we're not comfortable doing, right? Because that's it. Uh, opens us up for rejection, but that's that's
2: great sales. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's I think even to some degree though, it, it's it's great, you know, provocative and and so on. But you know, the bar is so low, right? That that it's you know people tend to put more in that than what it really is. Provocative could just be a really good first question you ask that's yeah. based on some degree of insight into the customer's business and what, what generally they're trying to accomplish. And But I think one of the problems we get into is, is that we, we generalize that as opposed to making it more specific. So I think that, that sales tends to get a little bit lazy because marketing is saying, hey, here are these personas, which is good information to have, but a lot of times sellers don't realize that there's actually a person at the end of that persona. So we sell to people, not personas. So how do you take that sort of generalized cue set of cues you're getting and hints and then make it human Absolutely. And it could be that's, that's, it could just be a great question that gets somebody to to think in a way that perhaps they hadn't been thinking before. We can do that in fact, we yeah. should be arming s d r s we should be arming a e s with these questions that they can customized, tailored to their own situation to their own personal strengths because not everybody's going to ask all questions as effectively um, but we start put them out there on their own, yeah, absolutely, but you know what if we,
1: if we take a step back and we look at um this is this is interesting because everything you're everything you're saying makes complete sense, and then. Let's like jump to the reality of what we see in sales today. Let's go to like any job description, an average job description for a sales role, like on Indeed or Monster, any major job board. And let's look if they are trying to find people who think this way, who, who are critical <laughs> thinkers, who um, understand great listening skills, eh, or no, right? They're, we're not going to find any of those things listed. We're going to look, we're going to find words like hungry. Uh, a expert aggressive um no i said i know,
2: said ext- extroverts not experts extroverts, extroverts yeah, yeah
1: extroverts aggressive um outspoken personalities a a type personalities right we see that you know just complete nonsense
2: well nonsense on two fronts first is yeah you you write your job description like that you automatically exclude of the population who are female who Mm -hmm. look at that language and think, Oh, I don't want to work in that culture. Mm -hmm. And yet (laughs) those are the people you want to have selling your product. Yep. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that that one is that's perhaps the, the biggest mistake right there. But the second part is is that you should be writing job descriptions based on taking a piece of paper and saying, What does the buyer need from us in order to make a decision? Right? That's our job. Yeah, I love this quote I have from Jeffrey Bezos I put it in one of my books is, you know, your job as sales is to help your customer make a purchase decision. Not to buy your product. Your job is to help them make a purchase decision. Yeah. If you do it right, they'll buy your product. But but if that's the case, take that as your baseline. And say, okay, well, what do we need in our salespeople? What qualities, what attributes, what experience, what capabilities do we need in our salespeople in order to help the buyers make a purchase decision? Start there.
1: Yeah. Agreed. And 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 you know what, that language that we see that has somehow, you know, transcended space and time and has like crept into every job description of, of sales across the world, that that to me is a sign of culture. Because right, language is a sign of culture, the words that we use, the mentality that we have. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, like the death to fluff victory, right? Well, the day we can ray, lay down death to fluff in its own deathbed and like call, it, call it a day, a good fight won, is the day that that language is no longer considered the standard, the norm, the accepted language of a, of a sales job description. Because that means we've changed the mentality and culture of the hiring managers of hr of the trainers of the company on what they think their sales force can and should be doing
2: yeah i mean it it means that shocking we suddenly became truly buyer oriented as opposed to sales oriented yeah and things these are not new lessons yeah you know, go back 40 years 50 years 70 years you know it's the lesson has been the same read the books they they all talk about the same thing and yet it's like we're having to reinvent this with every generation, is this idea that let's start with the customer. What do they need? How can we help them make a decision? And if we can do that, then hey, that's that's 90% of the battle. You know, it's not about selling our features and our our price and our delivery and you know the the tangible things. It's like so what do we do before they get to that point where they're considering those things? How do we influence The choices they're going to make in terms of how they want to solve their problem, not who they want to solve it with. And most, all sellers are focused on the who part. Who are they going to choose to solve the problem, as opposed to saying, "How are we working with the buyer to help them decide how to solve that problem?" Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
2: if I'm that person, I win that deal.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. You know, we can even look at like this. Here's here's like a, a tactical example of exactly what you're describing on how far sales teams are removed. You know, the, the common go-to generic vanilla, you know, stages in, in the CRM for a seller include things like demo, you know, purchase, negotiation, words like that, right? Those are the sort of right. stages. Right. None of those are the buyers, right? Those are the sellers.
2: Yeah, you know, no, we, don't, we, don't,
1: we, don't, we don't say things like they're interested. They're aware of our product. They're currently evaluating options in the market. We happen to be one of them. Right. Imagine if we put the buyer stages as the actual stages that a seller had to uh, you know, to, to describe their pipeline in in the empathy, the tactical empathy that would create in them thinking about the buyer's journey and obsessing over it. But you would be hard pressed to find a single company that doesn't have those generic, you know, sure. vanilla cookie cutter things in their CRM.
2: Despite the fact that Nearly two years ago, Gartner published their buyer enablement research study that said, now if you saw the flow chart of how the buying journey, it it's not a linear, stage-driven process like you just described. It's it's this they call in it, fact, like Gartner calls it their spaghetti diagram. It's like you took a handful of cooked spaghetti and threw it against the wall. Mm. That's what the flowchart looked like. But they said yeah. at the heart of it, there are four jobs that buyers have to do, four jobs to be done. Identify the problem, research potential solutions, build your specification or your requirements document, choose a vendor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. Four jobs. And so, in sales, unfortunately everybody's focused on job four. So, I mean, you can't go a day on LinkedIn without reading somebody talking about, oh, how do you deal with, you know, companies got RFPs. Well, it's like, yeah, that's the end of their process. They've been in that process for a while. You missed it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. You're so focused on being the vendor selected. You missed the whole three jobs before that. Yep. So a perspective for buyer or sellers to have is to say, when I'm engaging with a buyer, they're hiring me to help them make a decision on this. Think about it that way. There's a job they have to be done. They've actually got four jobs to be done. They're hiring me to help them get those jobs done.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's exactly the right mentality. and you know what this is a funny thing, Andy. if we brought on a smattering of sales leaders here, they'd all nod their heads and agree right <laughs> We'd get this big uh, heads going up and down and some applause and this and that. Then they go back to their sales floor and there's a big dashboard of all the metrics that they track, half of which are useless. Um, they are constantly reminding their sellers and stack ranking them exactly where they are and you know they are you know, talking about crushing quota and killing this and hunting that, <laughs> and so you're like, "Well, where where was it? I thought we were in agreement, right? Like <laughs> I thought we were all saying this made sense." And then, but you don't operationalize or manifest any of that in your processes. And and going back to your your spot on quote, right? The system is just producing the precise. It's a precise outcome of what the system should produce. Right, because it's none of it's yeah. operationalized, and and to me, it's like it's not hard to, it, it. You know, again, I'm no I'm no sales genius, but I I've already um, advised a couple of startups to 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 put the buyer's journey as their stages in their CRM, and it worked, and sellers liked it because then I was getting accurate pipelines because sellers were like, you know, it feels like it could be a deal, but. The buyers clearly just aware, and, but not interested right now. I'm like, great, then put them in the aware stage. They're not interested, and therefore right. we don't uh, forecast that pipeline. And they're like, yeah. oh, that's easy. Now I don't have to fluff my pipeline. I'm like, no, you don't. You get to be honest. <laughs> just tell me the <laughs> truth. Wild, right? And but that seemed like revolutionary.
2: But I think that highlights an interesting point, though, which is that why don't sales managers operationalize some of that? you know, these ideas that we talked about. And I think it's because they're operating from, primarily from a position of fear. Mm-hmm. So I think this is the driving factor in, in so many um, sales managers' lives. Is Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but see, it's, it's hard to be blamed too badly if we fail using the prescribed process. But if I recommend that we do something completely different and it fails, oh man, I'm really exposed. True. And I think this, is, this operates for sellers as well. Right? So they're not being encouraged by the managers to take chances, to become the best version of themselves as a seller because, A, the manager is nervous that if they do that, they might not hit their metrics. And if they don't hit their metrics, oh my gosh, we might not hit our targets. As opposed to letting people give people the freedom to, to become, you know, to ma- maximize and optimize their own skills to become the best version of themselves um and i think we've got this fear sort of operating up and down and it's why we're not changing anything that's i,
1: I love that point because i think about google's project o- oxygen and how they identified psychological safety as the the common denominator to all world-class teams that they had regardless right. of sales right and i think about myself as somebody who is you know i'm I'm a practicing Muslim. I I have, you know, a moral code that I follow as part of my faith. Mm -hmm. And that has always been a driving factor in how I behaved on the sales floor. You know, I, I truly wanted to compete with myself. I I was not concerned with the affairs of others because I, I believe there's, there's, yeah everybody's going to get theirs, right? The world's big enough. Everybody can get theirs and I can still get mine. There's enough to go around, you know, Uh, I believe the infiniteness of God. So there's no, there's no constraints, right? There's no resource constraint in my mind. Right. Um, and, but unfortunately right there, like you pointed out, there's, there's going to be a huge swath of leadership that don't understand that, that don't practice that, that don't have that in their own personal life, So it doesn't show up in the professional scenario, either the professional environment and it's going to hamstring even the best of talent.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you're you're talking about, and we'll sort of close with this. I mean, you're talking about values and character, and I could maybe count on one hand personal experience working with companies that actually incorporate screening for values and characters and character in the people they hire. Mm, yeah, and so we go back to this the question I asked you before: who who taught you how to sell? You know, it's actually a, a sixth category, and I say one of the one of the you know biggest causes of of poor sales craft and at the beginning level in terms of connecting and at a human level with people's own is, is bad parenting you know, people yeah. just aren't brought up to with <laughs> learning the right values and not right mean there's one set but it, that value other human beings right that that uh, start from a position of respect with someone else that they're working with. That understand that you know, if, if I'm dealing with a prospect, they're giving me some of their time. I need to give them something of value in return for that time. Otherwise, they're going to stop giving me my, their time. Or, you know, so I need to have that level of respect. Or, the level of respect that I was taught with my parents is to, yeah, you know, if you, as a kid, you know, if you meet a grown up, ask them a question, right? Be interested mm-hmm. in them. Have a conversation. Um, you know these things. I think are are inculcated at really early ages, and it's it's like I'm somewhat facetious about bad parenting being the cause of bad sales, but not entirely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you're, you're making me reflect now. You can't see me, but I'm like <laughs> literally like in deep <laughs> reflection
1: because it's true. I think about all the times my parents told me, you know, speak good or remain silent, which is like a prophetic saying that was often repeated in my household. Right, and how much that. That probably helped me in my sales career because I, you know, I didn't leave that with me. That was that was carried through on the cold call. It was carried through on the emails. Carried through on the demo, uh, and, and maybe that was enough of a subtle change. You know, going back to what we talked about earlier to for for people to see something different in me, that one percent difference.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, we could go on forever. We'll have you come back. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more. This has been a lot of fun. Like I appreciate it. It's it's an honor and a privilege. I'm I'm so glad. Thanks for having me, Andy. Well, good. Well, I think the audience is gonna get a lot out of this. So uh appreciate joining. So if people want to connect with you and follow you on Death the Fluff and so on, is, is tell them how to do that.
1: Yeah, the the best so I'll be, you know, LinkedIn if you're lazy, I'm there. I'll be I'll be posting almost every day. Uh if it gets fluffy, you have full license to call me out on it. That's uh that's the target I put on my back. Um, and then we have a community of of sellers. I think we're over 900 now at DeathToFluff.Bravado.co. I really view that as a as a safe place. You know, same tribe, saying language for people to talk about this sort of stuff. Because what I've learned is that people like bad sales management. Was, has like transcended space and time. Like it's just everywhere. Um, and everybody knows that feeling of faking dials and having their commission check played with and all the kind of mm-hmm. shared of sales. So it helps to know you're not alone. It helps to know you're not crazy for feeling that stuff is wrong. And that's a
2: community to find some like-minded people. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you. We'll look forward to doing it again shortly. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. We're so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Bilal Rawi for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating and a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd certainly appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.